God before us, God beside us, God behind us, God above us. Be also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It's like off balance, right? Everything's over here. I feel like I need to lean this way. What do you want for Christmas? Oh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Daniel's over there. He's like, wait a minute. Putting the cart before the horse. He's going to start playing the organ. Just drown me out. Well, people are already talking about it. I, I can tell you my kids are already talking about it because I get peppered in if you would like to get this for me for Christmas, right? Um, so noted. <laughs> um, and we're asking others, what do you want for Christmas? I know I have a friend who posted on Facebook, I think this was the day after Halloween, it was a picture of the Christmas tree in their home, and it said, already decorated, don't judge me, right? <laughs> Too late. <laughs> I guess everybody. It's like, that's, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're going to get a little judgy here. That's a little early, maybe a little bit. But in Dothan, they're already starting to break out the street decorations. I don't know if they're doing that here in Eufaula uh, yet, but it is upon us, right, the Christmas season. And we're thinking about it. Um, the kids are already asking us, when are we putting out our tree? We usually come up with some arbitrary and capricious date in the future that we, it's kind of like saying just, just over the next hill, uh, December the 10th, December 12th, December 15th, whatever it is. Of course, in the Anglican tradition, we have this Advent as a season of waiting and carols are deferred. But truth be told, if you come into the Coleman house, it's Christmas, you know, by the middle of December. So I guess in a way I'm a hypocrite uh, in lots of ways, um, but that's for, that's why I'm here. <laughs> so, right, that's why we're all here. Um, and so when I think about gifts, today's gospel is not what I think about. It doesn't seem like a gift when you're talking about the end of the world and famines and wars and rumors of wars. I don't think about when I say, what do you want for Christmas about the end of the world? And yet, there's a little something about that in today's gospel. And so many re they read today's gospel and they say, well, what, what do you think about the end of times? I mean, that's what Jesus is talking about. It's the end of the world. And boy, we're living in those times. I've preached on this before. It's called Mark's Little Apocalypse, apocalyptic writing. I've preached on this before, and somebody before the service said, well, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about the end of the world. Because, boy, I know it's coming. This is happening, and that's happening, and this is happening. I just want to know when it's going to be. <laughs> well, surprise, I didn't give the date, right, about the end of the world. And this is something very important to remember about Jesus. Anytime we hear there, any time we hear something that sounds fearful, that makes us tremble in a way, Jesus always uses love to cast out fear. Always. 
Anytime you hear something or someone say, well, Jesus said it, so you better be scared, right? Straighten up and fly right, man. Somebody that would use this as a way to get you to come into church. You look at him and say, Jesus, my Savior, always uses love to cast out fear. And he even says, beware of false prophets, right, that are going to be coming in these times. Because people love to use fear, not just in the church, but in life in general, to cajole you, to manipulate you, to get you to do things, to beat you over the head with it. Because fear is cheap fuel. Oh, it's powerful for a short period of time. And it'll get large masses of people to do things they would otherwise not do. But eventually you run out of gas. Because the only thing that's lasting is love. So, what, so when you read this, you have to say, what is Jesus saying then? How is he using love to cast out fear? Because my world, at least where I live, is filled with fear. So I want to know. Otherwise, this is just one more pack on the donkey's back, right? So let's look at where we are. Um, Jesus has been teaching in the temple. The temple is the place where the Jews believed that God was. I mean, God was everywhere, but he was particularly in the temple. Right? They built the temple to house the presence of God. We're in second temple Judaism, right? They rebuilt it. Um, and so now here it was. It was, if you were to attack the temple, you're basically attacking God. And so they are walking out of the temple, or they're in the vicinity of the temple, and one of the apostles looks at Jesus and he says, hey, look at that. Look at that. The temple, it's pretty great, isn't it? I mean, it'd be like when I go to the University of Alabama and I'm with my kids, I'll walk by Denny Chimes and I'll, look, I'll say, look at that. Isn't that great? Isn't this, this is heaven, isn't it? Now, I know I'm talking to a lot of Auburn people out there, but I'm like, man, this is as close as it gets. This is, this is awesome. And it was there when I walked by it, and it's going to be there when you walk by it. They'll probably go to Auburn, so I'm already <laughs> bracing myself for that. So they're walking out, and they're proud of it, right? I mean, their fathers, their grandfathers, their great-grandfathers, their generations have worshipped here. They built this, right? This is it. And so Jesus says, you see that? All that stuff you're talking about that's so great and so beautiful, not a stone of it will be standing. All of it will crumble. It was almost as if somebody said, God is dead. They attacked the one thing that you held as stable, the one landmark in your life. Jesus has just said it's all going to come crumbling down. And so they do what I would have done. Waited for a moment when Jesus was, you know, outside of the vicinity of others and said, hey, you know what you're talking about? The crazy stuff about the temple? When, it, when is that supposed to happen? Because I want to know. And then he starts talking about those last days and talks about false prophets. And so there's a part of me when I hear this, if I were the apostles, I would have just sat down on the ground and said, forget it. You know, why, why move forward? Why go on? 
I mean, if all that I love and all that I hold dear and sacred is going to be gone, right? The one focal point and anchor in my life is going to be gone for, I don't want to go on. So I wanted to know when it was. And yet, Don Hoffman, a theologian, says that when Jesus talks about the world coming to an end, He's not talking about the whole world here. He is speaking of our world. And there is a big, big difference. Right? He's talking about the temples in front of us. The things that we think will give us salvation. The things that we think will save us. Those things that we are attached to. So Jesus is talking about something very specific. Not all of the world. Right? So why is that important to me? Why is it important to you? Well, what do you do when your temple falls? Because I will tell this to every single person in this church. An end is near. Something in your life will crumble. When the perfect present right, means that I'm young or I'm smart or I'm healthy. What will you do when that fails? Because the temples of our lives are going to fall. Everything in this world is temporary save one thing. For some, it can be a relationship. It is the thing that you thought would give you salvation, right? It was the thing that gave you meaning and gave you hope and gave you life. And then the person isn't around anymore. They die. Maybe it's a marriage. That when you got married, this was it. This was the end-all, be-all. You've built a life around this person. And then they walk out the door. And your temple crumbles. Maybe it's a family or a religious denomination. Maybe it's a layoff or a failing grade. I'm sorry to tell you that you fill in the blank. You have cancer. I don't love you anymore. You're fired. The worlds that we build crumble. And there are those around us, we see it, we hear it in the world. Retreat. Why go on? It's the voice in our own minds, our own hearts that says it to us. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about why we are so pessimistic. You know, poverty has been cut in half in the last 20 years. And yet if you poll most people, they'll say that it's increased. Why do we do that? Because we all do it. But every ending can be a new beginning. Every death can lead to resurrection. And God is most present where he seems least present. From Emily Dickinson, a death blow is a life blow to some who till they died did not alive become. Martin Luther, when asked what he would do if he knew that the world would end tomorrow, he said, I'd plant a tree. 
knowing that we participate in the eternal life of God. It's like Moses on Mount Nebo. Moses knew he would never get into the promised land. If it was me, I would have said, forget it, I give up. That's, that is my world, the promised land. It's what I've worked my whole life for. And yet he continued to lead them because he knew that he participated in something eternal, that God was greater than what he could see or what he could feel or what he could know, that his world was not just right here, but it was everywhere. God functions most powerfully in our moment of weakness, our moment of confusion. He is most present or certainly as present in our deconstruction as he is in our construction, but not a hair of your head will perish. And there are times when we stand virtually alone in this world, when we feel that the gifts that we have relied upon have been swept away, that we don't have them anymore. Whatever it is, whoever it is, But even in the midst of that, we can make the music of faith. We can remind ourselves and tell others through our life that we know our Redeemer liveth, that he has conquered death so that we may live as if death were no more. Itzhak Perlman, um, the violinist who had polio, um, was doing a concert in 2005 at Lincoln Center. And he got, you know, he kind of had to get up on the stage. He wears braces on his legs. It was a painful moment, slow. Got up there, and he sat in his chair. He took out his violin, and he nodded to the conductor. And the conductor and the orchestra began to play, and he began to play this beautiful music. And then something terrible happened. Pop! One of his strings popped, made a loud sound. He stopped, the orchestra stopped, and everybody just kind of <gasps> And he nodded to the conductor, and the orchestra began playing, and he began playing and recomposing in his mind what he was playing. And together, he leaned on the orchestra, they leaned on him, and they made this music that was not what he intended. But it was beautiful. And when he finished, everybody was silent. And then they erupted into applause. When asked about it after, Perlman said, you know, sometimes it is the artist's task to find out how much music you can still make with what you have. You will be defeated in this life in some way or another. I don't know what it is, but that's okay. Because our Redeemer liveth he has conquered death so that we may live as if death were no more. And he has infused our life with a love that says to us, ends will come and they will go. And in the midst of it all, we remember that God waits for us on the other side to meet us. But more importantly than that, he walks with us every step. 
And this can give us fresh confidence. It is our hope every day. But it is also our challenge to live that out in this life. To not give in to the pessimism of the world. To not give in to the endings. To not join in. But to say no. You think that this election or the election eight years ago or the one that is in eight years from now is the end of the world? I've heard people say that. Are you kidding me? Is that some kind of joke? I mean, are you trying to get me to laugh? Is that a joke? Seriously. What is that? Who is your Savior? You know, is your Savior this? I mean, it's important, but what are you building your life upon? And is it lasting? From the Psalm 16 that we read, um, others read it today, right? I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not fall. My heart, therefore, is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body shall also rest in hope. Amen.